You're listening to the Bethel Community Church Podcast. Our podcast normally showcases our weekly sermons here in Chicago at 7601 West Foster. Now, podcasts are great, but they do not replace the care and community you receive from the local church or from your local pastor. So we encourage you to come, join our community, or contact us to help you find a community in your area. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you listen. Enjoy. starting a series in the gospel according to Mark, and so I would invite you to turn to the gospel according to Mark, whether in your own Bible or in the uh, scripture journal that you've been given, or if you're going to use the Bible that's provided for you, that's on page 836. Let's go to God in prayer and ask his blessing as we look at his word together. God, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity as we begin this year to study your word together, to look at the gospel according to Mark. Father, with everything going on in the world, uh, especially with the holidays just coming to an end and the new year beginning and some of us just going through colds or uh, illnesses of various kinds, Father, we need you to help us in this time that your spirit would sharpen our minds and prepare us, our minds, our hearts, to hear from you and our wills to respond to you in faith and in obedience. Father, we do pray for our children as they go down that you would bless them to hear the word as it is taught to them. Pray that those who are teaching would do so faithfully and clearly and that you would bless the children to hear and to receive in faith what they are taught and instructed. Father, we pray for those who cannot be among us for various reasons, whether they're working or away or going through illness or just that they are homebound, especially this time of the year. God, we ask that you would meet with them as we pray you would meet with us as well. Help us to be an encouragement to them throughout the week. And Father, we pray for those whom you have set over us as we begin this year that will be an election year for our nation. We pray for civility in our nation. We pray, God, for you to guide our leaders and certainly to put in place those who will best serve the good of this nation and the glory of your name. Lord, we pray that you would... Bless our leaders. More than anything, our prayer is that you would save them. Lord, also that you would help them to do what is pleasing to you in in governing us, whether it be our president and Congress and judiciary, or whether it be at the state level or whether it be at the local level. Thank you for those whom you have set over us. Help us to respect them and to honor them, but Lord, we pray you would guide them. Lord, as we look at your word, Help us to receive what you say, because it is for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we start this new year, we are going to look through the gospel according to Mark, and the title of this series is The Good News of the Son of God. We need to 
study the gospel again and again because we need to be clear about the gospel that we believe and proclaim because there are a lot of competing messages out there, a lot of false gospels. There's a lot of confusion even within churches among Christians. Remember many times as I've talked with people and just asked them a simple question, hey, what is the gospel? Or share the gospel with me. And, and sometimes I just get a blank stare, and not, so I'll have to ask a different question. I remember one time an older lady and I met with a younger lady at the church we were at. And she had been, this younger lady had been a member there at the church for several years, and she was going through some difficulties. So I asked her the question, what is the gospel? Would you just share the gospel with me so I can make sure you understand it? She looked at me and said, I'm not sure what you mean. So I tried to rephrase it and I said, well, how can you be saved or how could somebody be saved? Which she responded, I don't know, be a better person? Which I responded by sharing the good news of Jesus with her. And after I did, she said to me, oh, yeah, I remember hearing that as a kid. I thought that was for children. Mark, or John Mark, as he's often called in the New Testament, who's the author of this gospel account, wasn't one of Jesus' first 12 disciples, but he was a first century follower, a first century disciple of Jesus, traveled with the Apostle Paul for a while and then was with the Apostle Peter at times as well. Well, he's writing probably to Christians in Rome who were familiar with Jesus, who probably did know the gospel. But Mark wants to make sure that they have the facts straight, that they are clear on the story on who Jesus is and why he came. He wants to make clear to them what it means to live as followers of Jesus. Likewise, he's writing to equip them so that they can share the good news of Jesus with others. And that's my goal as we go through the gospel according to Mark is so that you will know the good news of Jesus and so that you will be a growing disciple of a growing follower of Jesus and so that you will be equipped to share the message of Jesus Christ with others. So let's begin by looking at Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 15 this morning. Mark writes, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now after Jesus was arrested, Jesus, or excuse me, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Our main idea this morning what we read is to repent and believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who ushered in the saving reign of God and proclaim this gospel to others. Now, that call to repent and believe is far from popular in our day, and it wasn't any more popular in Mark's day. There are many competing truth claims, many competing messages, attempting to explain the world in which we live, attempting to show us the greatest problems of our life and then how to deal with them, how to be saved from them, and promising us a better future. The dominant messages of our society today that's been so impacted by humanism for so long is this idea of human autonomy. That is that we have self-rule. And this is so ingrained in our society that if you say anything that seems to question or cast doubt on this idea of human autonomy you're likely to be canceled before you get any more of a hearing. Self-rule is at the heart, it's the core of the ideologies of our day, including the sexual revolution. See, self-rule is the religion of our day. Self is on the throne and is to be worshipped according to our society. The new year, I looked online and found that there are many different articles, many different websites that are devoted to helping you be yourself or the self that you want to be and to be a happier self this year. One talked about how you need to give 
time and attention to yourself every day to have a happier new year. Another one from The Atlantic said that in order to reinvent yourself, you have to know the self that it is that you want to change. Another that was rightly just titled self proclaims the gospel of self, how you can get over those bad feelings you have so that you can have good feelings in 2024. You need to make sure that you, among other things, take a shower. I actually agree. Get more sleep. When you do something good, you should treat yourself. You need to get rid of those clothes that make you feel bad about yourself. Now, I'm not saying that self-care isn't important. It is. But as Mike talked about last week, and when he talked about confession, what do we keep on hearing when we read these articles? It's all about me, myself, and I. It's all about what I'm to do. It's all about me. Well, Jesus didn't come to preach a message of self-fulfillment. If you're a youth or young adult, I mean, even my age, you grew up hearing this one message in your life, this confusing demand to define yourself and believe in yourself and express yourself. Jesus comes and he gives us a message that's 180 from that, calling us to repent of self. Because Jesus' message is not all about you. It's all about Jesus. And so Mark gives us in these first 15 verses five aspects of the beginning of the gospel. The first aspect he gives us is in verse 1 where we see the identity of Jesus. Mark writes, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, Mark isn't like a good mystery novel here or like a good mystery movie. If you like those, Mark disappoints you. He gives you his theme for the entire book right in the first sentence. He tells you, what's this all about? It's going to be the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who is the Son of God. And so we need to keep Jesus' identity in mind throughout the entire book. That's why Mark gives it to us up front, so that we know this is what he's going to teach us through all 16 chapters, that Jesus is the Christ. He is the promised Messiah, the anointed King, and he is none other than the Son of God himself. And the title Son of God would have been really a loaded title in the first century. You see, Caesar, the emperor of Rome, would have claimed to be the Son of God. And certainly what Mark teaches us will confront Caesar's claims, but Mark is doing more than that. See, throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, which was the Bible that Mark had, There were individuals and there was a nation who was called the Son of God. Adam, the first man, 
who God created was the son of God. Problem is, Adam disobeyed God. He was not an obedient son. Had to be removed from God's presence. But Israel as a nation, likewise, was the son of God. But again, just like Adam, Israel failed to keep covenant with God and had to be removed from the land. Well, Israel's King David and those in the line of David were likewise called the Son of God, and yet even the kings failed to obey God. All of this should be in mind of the first century readers of Mark's gospel. But it points us all to Jesus. You see, Jesus, unlike all the sons of God who went before, Jesus is the perfectly obedient son of God. And Jesus doesn't become the son of God. He's not somehow adopted as God's son because he obeys God. Rather, it's because Jesus is the perfect eternal son of God that he perfectly obeys his father. So we need to be clear on the identity of Jesus, who he is. He is the eternal son of God come in the flesh. Well, that brings us then to verses 2 through 8, where Mark shows us this second aspect, the witness to Jesus. Mark doesn't begin then just by saying, well, let me tell you about Jesus. He starts with John, John the Baptist, or probably better called John the Baptizer. Well, John is the authoritative witness to Jesus. He's the one who the Old Testament had foretold that there would be one who would come before the Messiah, before the Christ, would be the witness to him. Verse 2, Mark says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and then he goes on to actually quote or reference three different Old Testament passages, but he only cites Isaiah like first century Jews would because Isaiah was the most important for what Mark is writing. Because John is out fulfilling Isaiah 40 verse 3, and so that's what he quotes in verse 3. But before he does so, he quotes Exodus 23 verse 20 that says, Behold, I send an angel or a messenger before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I've prepared. God was promising Israel that as they went through the wilderness, as they went through the desert after the exodus, that he would send a messenger, an angel, to lead them into the land. And so John is fulfilling that messenger role. Then he also quotes Malachi 3 verse 1, which God says, behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. God's telling us the one who's coming is none other than God himself come to save his people. Then he, in verse 3, as I mentioned, quotes Isaiah 40, where he says, a voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John is out in the desert because Israel is out in the wilderness, spiritually separated from God and needing to return to their God. 
But Mark wants to make sure that we don't get John wrong. You see, John has a purpose. John is like a a signpost or a billboard. As we see billboards, we we know that they point to something beyond themselves. You you can't go riding down the highway and seeing Brian Urlacher with all that hair and thinking, well, if I just look at this sign, I'll start growing hair. No, you've got to get the product. It's the same with John. John points beyond himself, points us to Jesus. He was one like Elijah. That's why his verse 6 says he dresses the way that he does. And just as Elijah was sent to call Israel back to God, so that is what John is doing now. He's doing so because Israel is in their sins. They were needing to be forgiven. It was as if they were needing to re-enter the land all over again. John, however, only came to baptize in water. As he says, there's one coming after him to whom he points, who will baptize, who would immerse with the Spirit. Now, John's not saying that this is some sort of second step of being converted. No, what he's talking about is only Jesus can convert you. Only Jesus can give you the new life that the Spirit comes to give you. It begins by confessing your sins. It begins by acknowledging that you have disobeyed God. Sin They just mean, or excuse me, confessing your sin just means agreeing with God. That you are a sinner and you desperately need a Savior. That's where we must begin. You see, the, the good news of Jesus isn't good news until you see how desperately you need a Savior. It's only good news when you come to realize the bad news that you live under the judgment of God that you need one to take your place. That is why John came to point us to the only one who could save us. You know, that's our job as well. Even if we've been Christians a long time, none of us in this life is going to get beyond that fact that we need to confess our sins and we need to turn from them and we need to be regularly forgiven of them. We as God's people need to be witnesses pointing one another to Jesus, pointing a lost world to him as well. So John is the witness to Jesus, but then notice verses 9 through 11. Mark teaches us about the uniqueness of Jesus. And I, I like Mark. He's straightforward. He doesn't beat around the bush here and get off into the weeds or something. He's like me. You can ask Angela. I'm very straightforward. I tend to not beat around the bush. I just go direct to things. Well, Mark does that same thing. Verse 9, he tells us, who is this one who is mightier than John? It's Jesus. But he doesn't come from Judea. He doesn't come from Jerusalem. He comes from the little village of Nazareth out in Galilee. 
and yet he's baptized, which in some ways should be a surprise to us, but Mark doesn't in any way even explain it. I mean, why would Jesus, this one who's sinless, why would he need to be baptized? He doesn't need to repent. He doesn't need to be forgiven. Mark doesn't tell us, the other gospel accounts do, Jesus needs to be baptized because he's identifying with us, God's people in our sins, so that he can take our sins upon himself and die as our substitute. Mark gives us three truths about Jesus here. Verse 9, he is the one who is infinitely worthy. He is the one who... John isn't worthy even to unstrap his sandal. Now, that word mighty could also be translated strong. In fact, Jesus uses it in chapter 3, verse 27. When on the lips of Jesus we read, But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless the first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. You see, Jesus is the one not only mightier than John, he's the one mightier than Satan who has come to set us free from the evil one and his temptations and his accusations. Second, verse 10, we see that Jesus is the one filled and empowered by the Spirit of God. If Jesus is going to baptize us with the Spirit, Jesus must first have the Spirit. And that's what we read when the the Uh, or when the heavens are torn open, the Spirit descends on him, rests on him like a dove, empowering him for ministry. In the Old Testament, the, the Spirit of God was involved in creation. It was the Spirit of God who empowered Moses and the prophets. It's the Spirit of God who, if you read the book of Judges, you come to this guy named Samson. And the Spirit of God will rush upon Samson. And when he does so, Samson goes out and he's a one-man army defeating all of the enemies of God. Or you read about David, this one who goes out and faces a giant and in the power of the Spirit is able to defeat him to set Israel free. So Jesus is this one who has the Spirit permanently filling him without measure. He's the one who Isaiah had foretold in Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 3, where we read God say, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. Get this. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So Jesus is this one who is mightier than all others because he is the one who is empowered, filled with the Spirit. And he is the one true, unique Son of God, as we see in verse 11. Read that when the heavens are torn open, the Father speaks over him. Mark only uses that word, the words for torn open, One other time in his gospel account, Mark chapter 11, where when Jesus is crucified, the veil of the temple is torn apart, torn in two. See, the Father has come 
to dwell with Jesus and is with Jesus perfectly for his ministry. And it's the same for us if we are trusting in Jesus because Christ was crucified, so now God can dwell with us because Christ took our place. And the Father declares over him those most wonderful words, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And having been the father of three children and getting to hold that newborn, there, there is that, that pride that you get as you look down into the face of your little one and you say, this is my son, this is my daughter. I have this delight in this child. You know, that's something that you've never felt before. Well, that doesn't quite capture what's going on here. Rather, the father delights in Jesus because Jesus is his son who perfectly obeys, who perfectly lives in the fear of the Lord moment by moment throughout his life. And again, Mark is actually bringing together three Old Testament texts in the Father's declaration, Psalm 2, verse 7, in which God declares over the Messiah, you are my son, today I've begotten you. He also is bringing in John, or, excuse me, Genesis 22, verse 2, in which God commands Abraham to go and sacrifice his son, his only son, Isaac, the son whom you love. And yet on the mount, when Abraham went to sacrifice his son, God stopped him and instead had Abraham substitute a ram for him. Well, God didn't stop. He sacrificed his own son for us because Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But he also quotes Isaiah 42 verse 1 in which we read God say, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. And so Jesus is this perfectly obedient, unique, spirit-empowered servant son of God. And if you know how the spirit of God operates in the Old Testament, what would you expect the the servant of God, the son of God, who's empowered by the spirit to do? You would expect him to go to war. And that's exactly what he does in the next verses, but not against Rome, but instead against the powers of darkness. Verses 12 and 13, we see the testing of Jesus, and we see it's the spirit of God who drove him into the wilderness to confront the evil one. And he's out there in this hostile desert in, in which there are wild animals around. And yet, just as God cared for his son Israel while they were in the wilderness, so God, by his angels, is caring for his son Jesus as well, Mark tells us. But Mark doesn't give us any clues about how Jesus was tempted, unlike Matthew and Luke. The reason is because Mark is focusing us on how Jesus throughout his life will have these continual battles with the evil one and yet will always be victorious over him. In Matthew and 
Luke, we get to find out what those temptations are, but Mark doesn't focus on them, doesn't tell us about them, because Mark isn't telling us how we can, like Jesus, fight temptation. Instead, he's showing us this one who came and was tempted as we are. As Hebrews 4.15 says, he was tempted in every respect as we are. And yet here is the one who's without sin. You see, the good news of Jesus isn't about what you can do for God. It's not at all about how you can be a better you or a better person It's all about what God has done for you in Jesus. We dare not make the mistake of putting ourselves in the gospel in any way. Which brings us then to verses 14 and 15 where we see the message of Jesus. John, again, Mark cuts to the chase. He says, after John was arrested... Jesus comes into Galilee, and he begins his ministry proclaiming the gospel of God, or this is the same as the gospel of Jesus Christ, or you might call it the gospel of the kingdom. He's proclaiming this good news, and what is his message? Verse 15, the time is fulfilled. That is the time for God to fulfill his promises to save his people with the coming of Jesus the king. And so with the coming of the king, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, as Americans, we don't have a king. We don't have a queen over us. We're a democracy, a republic. And so we, when we think of kings and queens, tend to think of medieval Europe and the feudal system, and we we think of a kingdom in terms of the realm, the territory over which a king rules. But more basic than the territory is that a kingdom is the reign of the king. And that is what we see here. Jesus the king has come to usher in God's saving reign in us and among us. It is important to understand this concept of the kingdom of God, this reign of God among us, because it's central to the entire storyline of the Bible. It begins with creation, where God sovereignly rules over his people by his word in the garden. And so we see God reigning over God's people in God's place. Well, due to the fall... Mankind is separated from God. Sin and death enter the world because we disobeyed God's word. Redemption then begins as God acts in history. Begins saving his people from our sin and from death. God, with the coming of Jesus Christ, has ushered in his kingdom, his saving reign. It is broken into this present evil age, and yet we await the completion. We await that final consummation of the kingdom when Jesus returns. And so the kingdom is already now a reality. God is saving his people, and yet we await that final completion 
And so the kingdom is already, but it's not yet here in its fullness. It awaits the second coming of Jesus. But as Mark will show us, Jesus the king brings in God's saving reign in the most scandalous way possible. The king who deserves all glory and honor is taken by the Romans and nailed to a cross where he dies in the place of sinners like you and me so that we can be forgiven. Substitution is at the very heart of the gospel. That Jesus, the Son of God, would come and die in our place for our sins so that we can be reconciled to God. But the king didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave and now he has ascended with all authority in heaven and on earth. And he has given us a great gift until he returns. He has given us his spirit, the very spirit who rested upon and filled Jesus is the same spirit whom he has given to us, this spirit who individually is transforming us so that we live under God's reign here and now. This same spirit is at work in the church as well so that the spirit, or so that the church now gives the world a picture of what it looks like to live under the reign of King Jesus. So we are to proclaim this good news just as Jesus did. Notice Jesus calls for a response. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. There is an urgency to enter into the saving reign of God to be saved. You must repent and believe the good news. You must acknowledge and confess your sin. And you must acknowledge that you need a Savior. You see, you must acknowledge that your sin is just that. It's sin. It's not something that you excuse away and say, oops, that was a mistake. It's not something that you get to justify yourself. No, it's something that you... Say, you know what, Lord, you're right. What I did was wrong. It was evil. It was against you and none other. Because when you confess your sin is sin, only then will you repent, believe. You see, repentance and belief aren't two separate acts. They're two sides to one coin. You turn away from your sin and you turn to Jesus. Today, if you haven't come to know Christ, turn from your sin. Turn to Jesus. Put your faith and your hope in him and God will forgive you and he will welcome you and you will belong to God. And the same thing that God declares over Jesus at his baptism, the Father will declare over you because through faith you're united with Jesus. And so the Father will declare over you in Christ, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. If you're here and you are trusting in Jesus, 
due to the already not yet reality of God's work in us. None of us has arrived. None of us are going to arrive in this life. We're going to continue to struggle with sin. And so this is why repentant faith is so important for us. This is how we live our lives. As Martin Luther, the German monk, said in his first of his 95 theses, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. See, Jesus didn't come to help you to reinvent yourself. He didn't come to help you be a little better, didn't come to help you express yourself, didn't help you to come to make you feel a little better about yourself. Jesus came to wage war against yourself, to set you free so that you might live for the glory of God in all you do. As believers, just as the false gospel of self has its ambassadors and evangelists, we are called to be ambassadors, evangelists of the true King Jesus, proclaiming to the world the good news of the true King. So the call is to repent and believe in Jesus Christ the Son of God who ushered in God's saving reign to proclaim that good news to others. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you. Thank you that you didn't leave us in our sin. Thank you that you didn't leave us in our rebellion and in our death. But you sent Christ, and as we sang earlier, Jesus called our name. Oh, the glory, we ran out of that grave. Father, I pray for anyone who is here who, as of yet, hasn't come to Christ, that you would call their name and bring them out of that grave. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. As we look through the gospel according to Mark, I pray that you would teach us to know the truth, and the truth would set us free. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.